Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. So while Neil comes up here, I want to tell you a little about this, uh, this guy. Um, this has been an incredibly tough year for all of us. But um, as I've been praying for Neil, especially tough for Neil, because every time we get bad news about the church, he gets bad news about his gym. So every time I think, oh my goodness, what else could go wrong? He has to manage both his business um, and what is going to happen in the context of the church as, uh, as a leader and as a pastor. And so I just want to say you've done that incredibly well. Thanks for pastoring and leading us so well. I want to pray for you and then uh, feed us. Father, I want to thank you for this man. I want to thank you for the hours of preparation and prayer that have gone into this. Uh, but what I'm more grateful for is that your Holy Spirit resides within him and that you are true to your word. I want to pray that you would use him now, that you would anoint his mouth and his heart, um, and that you would enable us to be in a posture of receptivity and change. Bless him, use him in Jesus' name. Wow. Thank you, Nick. You know, when, uh, Nick, your words carry weight, and I just appreciate you and thank you for that. Mercy Commons, good evening, and Merry Christmas. If I knew how the year was going to go, I probably would have started decorating for Christmas in July this year, with at least one Christmas tree in every room, including the garage. Um, there's two reasons why. I think I've desired to do that. One, I just want this year to be over. Um, in spite of Nick's perspective, you know how when something embarrassing happens, you're like, can we just get this over with? Um, I've had a few moments this year that I would consider somewhat of emotional spiritual or spiritual relapses. I'm not sure about you guys. The other reason I want this year to be over is because we all know that in January of 2021, everything we're frustrated with will magically disappear, right? I, I am aware that I am in complete denial, but it's okay. So are you guys. It's great. Um, the other reason why I have just been longing for the season of Advent, all joking aside, is I've needed a reminder that Jesus has actually come to this earth and that he's coming again. I have felt the pull of culture and the influence of idolatry and other things that are kind of wrapped up in the world all around us this year like I never have. I've never been really into politics, okay? I got sucked into that one. Uh, I've spent more time on social media, not anymore, I've come to my senses, but there's this, just this pull to get wrapped up into the confusion, distress, and chaos that we see all around us. And guys, that's, that is actually the reason why we have chosen the Advent series that we are starting today. You see, what, what we intend to do is to hold these four titles that were actually prophesied about Jesus 700 years before he arrived on earth. Let me, let me read them to you. The wonderful counselor, the one who calms the soul, the mighty God, who's, the one who settles all things, the everlasting father whose arms are large enough to welcome the entire world and the prince of peace, the rightful ruler of all. And what we plan to do in this series, this Advent series titled Portraits of Peace, is to take these true titles of our Savior and compare them to 
the caricatures, the, the wannabes in the world, these false narratives, these things that say, hey, uh, do this and you will experience peace or joy. It's this idea of getting the fruits of the kingdom of God, but without actually having to submit from the king, and it is a lie. And we're gonna take these, these pictures each week and hold them in contrast to one another. And I hope it brings you the peace that it has brought me. Um, we're going to unpack each of these facets of Christ and hold them in comparison and contrast to the false promises of peace our culture feeds us and our unsanctified flesh crave. If you guys could be so kind, turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 9 of Isaiah, beginning in verse 2. And there's something you need to know, and I'm not going to spend much time on this. I know most of you uh, have studied Scripture, but this, is, this, this word is being brought at a time in Israel's history where they have long departed from the instruction of God. They have stopped listening to the counsel of God. And as this verse begins, this is... Um, given to a people that are in exile, people that have lost their possessions, their future, their hope. Um, they have been disciplined by God because of their turning from him. And so this is a beautiful word that was brought to them, but it spoke of the God that we worship today. And it says this, beginning in uh, verse two. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing their plunder. For as the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire because a child has been given to us. To us, a son has been born, and the govern government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, and the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The title for today's sermon is A Tale of Two Counselors. And the problem that we are attempting to address today through today's teaching is the fact that darkness, confusion, and distress fall upon those who do not believe in and follow the path lit by the counselor Jesus. The portrait of peace that we are observing today is one of wonderful counselor. In the Greek, it's the peleiats. And it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a stretch to translate it something along the lines of miraculous, marvelous advisor. And we're gonna be holding this in contrast to what the narratives we see in our culture in Southern California. Uh, here's a little roadmap for you today. I hope you guys are a bad news first kind of people. Good news or bad news? I always like the bad news first, right? Uh, we're gonna start with the bad news. We're gonna start with the fruits of the worldly counselor. We're gonna move on to a practical and personal example of what believing the wrong counselor looks like. And we're gonna finish with paying close attention to the instruction of our wonderful counselor. Let's look at what it looks like to follow other counselors. What does this look like? 
Uh, you know, if you, if you turn just one page back from where we were just re reading out of that incredibly hopeful message that was prophesied 700 years before Jesus is coming, the Bible actually really accurately describes the, the state of those people that had wandered from God. And I want to read this to you. This is starting in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 20 and 22. Um, you see, they had turned from, f away from God. They had turned to things like uh, mediums, those who consulted to de the dead. That's literally in verse 19. And it says they, they sought after spiritualists. And it's interesting here in verse 20, it starts with a warning. And let's read this. It says, consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to the word, it is because they have no light in them. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And they, when they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. And they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Point number one, what happens when we submit to worldly counsel? I would argue that from verse 21 and 22, it says it causes us to become distressed and hungry. It causes us to become anxious fatalists. They saw nothing but fearful gloom everywhere they looked on the earth. And it can cause us to roam through the land unsatisfied. So what does it look like when we follow the wrong counsel and it leads to distress? Let me unpack this word a little bit. It's kind of complex. And in, in my opinion, uh, this, word, this word actually is used more often in scripture to describe stiff neckness, stubbornness, right? Um, and in its contact, it speaks to their, their hardship. That's another word for it, but it's really this, this idea of distress. It is stubborn, stiff-necked hardship, right? <clears throat> for Israel... As I mentioned, they had turned from God. They had sought after mediums and spiritualists. They were looking in the wrong place to find peace. They were looking for answers, seeking the one who could not answer. They had departed from the, the, the God that had rescued and redeemed them and were living in complete rebellion to him. They had turned the wrong way and their necks were stiff and they couldn't look back. Their sin had led them into captivity and now in their hunger and roaming, they curse God. And I want to be very careful here. And I'm speaking from personal experience as a son of God, but we too can fall prey to such things when we believe the wrong things. Let me give you a, just a little physical example, and I'm going to use um, one of my sons as an example. He will be known as Son X, all right? Learned from Nick, we're not going to go with A, Bs, or Cs because it's too easy to figure out. But Sun X, Sun X often wants a lot of a specific thing that is not good for him. And my father's heart for him is to want to say yes, but when it's something like excessive amounts of sugar and you have the knowledge that that could lead to causing cancer later in his life, I believe that. Um, not gonna get into it. And so for the 50th time on the 50th day, he knows, dad, can I have something that has an excessive amount of sugar? And my answer, and love, and kindness is no. And he proceeds to do something like this. Turns his back to me. And I, I literally have to say, son X, turn around. 
uncross your arms, lift your eyes, look at me. And just, just thinking about this, this thing of Israel and this example of my own son, I've recognized moments where we can actually fall prey to, the, to this as well. Let me just give you a scenario, see if you can relate to this at all. Let's say hypothetically, you're a selfish person like me, all right? Um, you think, you know, you deserve a job, a house, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Um, and God answers to you, no. I've noticed moments in my own life when God did not give me the thing that I wanted, that there comes this armed across nature that we potentially um, present ourselves to him. Our disappointment from the thing that we think we want causes us to think that God is mad at us or he is unhappy with us or that he's unkind. And we cross our arms much like Sun X. Now, I want you to imagine this, and I do believe I have met people in this position. You have your arms crossed, you're a little upset about something, and then two weeks go by. And then two years go by. And that thing you still don't understand because you have not sought the Lord on it. You haven't turned to his counsel. You haven't asked him why or asked him to change your desires has become this distance between you and the Lord. You see, for Israel... They sought after the wrong counsel, but gave themselves fully to it. Maybe it's the idol of romantic love. You believe there's a soulmate out there for you who will magically complete you and you'll carry on living your lives in beautiful harmony. That's not a real thing. The Bible doesn't talk about it. That is the idol of romantic love. And he says no, and now you're mad at him. Or maybe it's something else, fill in the blank. But so as Israel turned, and as their necks got stiffer and stiffer, it became almost impossible for them to return to the Lord. Guys, this is a comparison, but we too can fall prey to this as well. We can become angry with God for him not giving us the thing that actually isn't good for us. We can turn from his counsel and it can cause distress. What else happens when we submit to worldly counsel? It can make us anxious fatalist. It says they looked to the earth and they saw only darkness, distress, and fearful gloom. Let me just say this about fatalism. We know that the words of Jesus contain an eternal life. We know that Jesus came so that we may have life and have it to the full measure. We know that the thief comes to do what? To rob, to kill, and destroy. You know, when you look through the Old Testament, you can see countless of, of God's people, whether it's Israel, whether it's Jacob, whether it's Jonah, whether it's lots of guys. Every time they say, surely we're going to die, there's two things happening. One, they don't understand the God they believe in. And two, they don't actually end up dying. Um, this is a thing that we see. It's a, it's, it's a warning and a caution. As we have embraced the gospel, as we have been filled with the spirit, the response in our hearts when death presses upon us, and I know this is difficult and hard to understand, and I am still growing in this, but Paul said it would be better than I go, than I stay, to be with the Lord. That would, that would be my preference, but clearly my work is not done here, so I'll stay. When we look at Jesus, yes, it was difficult. Yes, he sweat blood, 
But the Bible says that he joyfully took on the cross for our good. If we truly believe in Jesus, and if this whole story is actually real, which I am convinced that it is, there is no fear in death. Even if things were gonna end badly for us, a new story is just beginning. One in the presence of God Almighty, one in a world free from sin, pain, and suffering. And I don't know about you, but when I was on social media too much, all I saw was fear and gloom. When I was watching the news, or maybe for some of you, when you look at the election results, or maybe when you're looking at your bank account, whatever it is, we're all going to die. If you have experienced that, you have in some way drifted from the counsel of God. This is a symptom inside of us because we're believing something that is not true. Lastly, when we submit to worldly counsel, it causes us to roam the land. I wanna be even more careful here. I keep saying that a lot. I wanna unpack the meaning of this word a little bit. I wanna give a disclaimer and I wanna give some advice. The word here means to travel, to wander, and to be alienated. In my assessment, I would say that to pass through unsettled like you do not belong. In my disclaimer here, we have had many families move over the last, since February, March, whatever, since the great lockdown began. And I, I have faith for quite a few of them. I'm not gonna tell you what percent, I'm not gonna tell you who or who not, all right? Um, but <clears throat> I am skeptical of some. What I've heard a lot of in these long trajectories of stories is a growing discontentment. Um, there's a bit of what we're describing about, man, everything's just wrong here. You know, I think I just need a new fresh start. And um, often God seems to be in the business of calling people to places with lower mortgages, with more luxury, more comfort. Um, and it's obviously the Lord's will. And what I, what I really wanna be careful of, and get friends, if, if you're listening and you're one of the family that's, family that's moved, I'm most likely not talking about you. Anyhow, um, here's my advice, guys. And that's what I want to call it. Don't dream about moving from a place in a state of discontentment and disappointment. If you really believe God is inviting you to a new geography, then ask God to confirm it by bringing you contentment with where you are at. This will help assure you that the Lord is inviting you into this transition rather than you potentially running from something or roaming. Guys, I believe God is powerful enough to move his people all over this nation and this world in a way that is not motiva motivated by stiff-necked distress. My advice to you would be to seek the Lord to find contentment and find clarity before you move, just to be safe that you are not running from something that God is inviting you to. One last thing about roaming. I can't fully explain it, but there is something wonderful and joyous about planting churches and watching them grow. You may plant churches by your participation. You may not be a pastor like me, but we all build and equip. We all strengthen the church. 
And some of you have been at Mercy Commons since it was a dirt field and a dream. Now she is luscious and vibrant compared to those days. And there's some kind of sacred privilege that is lost on the wanderers when they leave too soon and never get to see the fruits of their labor blossom and multiply. Sometimes when we depart from a field in haste, we can recall the toil, but without the knowledge of the fruit that is born. And let me just land this point, we'll move on. Israel had long stopped listening to God and seeking his counsel. Their stiff-necked stubbornness led them away from the Lord into distress. It caused them to lose hope in every area of their lives, and it causes them to, caused them to roam the land full of hunger. Friends, may we continually turn to our counselor, the miraculous, marvelous advisor, so that we can dwell in the land of light and reflect his glory. And as I mentioned, um, bad news first, um, but I also have a personal story about how these things can play out. Point number two, a practical example of believing in the wrong counselor. One of the reasons I believe these ideas can cause us to drift from God is for my own journey of sanctification. Unfortunately, I've seen this play out in my own life. You see, all the leaders of Mercy Commons are not perfect either. We are continually corrected and shaped and transformed by our God, by our loving Father. And this year, as I mentioned, has, not, has been revealing to me, but it has not been the most difficult. I've had to repent for my entitlement and delusions of control. Apparently, I thought that no one with the name Gavin should mess with my stuff. I was super entitled, literally. I received that. And then I, I, I believe I was playing God a little bit with the amount of control I felt, felt that I deserved over my life. It has been challenging, but not the most difficult. To date, the three hardest years of my life happened from 2013 to 2016. Plah. Just as we began to dare to plant a gospel-centered, spirit-enabled community on mission in the city of Fullerton, that's interesting. Excuse me. These were the years my heart believed three hidden lies. They never would have passed my lips, but in hindsight, the Lord has shown me the deception my heart fell prey to. Somehow I came to believe that luxury and comfort were synonymous to success. Another lie that I believed is that following Jesus would make my life easier, or more specifically, that my obedience would equal immediate blessing. Lastly, I believed that a fresh start would solve all of my problems. Guys, in my opinion, these three themes I have seen in our culture that has caused confusion, distress, and unhelpful wandering for some. The lie that success correlates to comfort and convenience and luxury, it's easy to see where this idea comes from in our culture of consumerism and celebrity culture. The, the idea that following Jesus will make my life easier, this is more of how the convenience and comfort culture of Orange County in America has influenced individualistic believers in America. It's rubbed off on God's church. And that a change of scenery will solve our problems. I think we've all felt that at some point. We need to watch out for these. And this story will show you, I hope, how we can be pulled by them. 
The most interesting thing about this story, and I mean it, is that it all began when I honestly heard the voice of God. There's only two times where I believe that that's happened. I was actually just right outside that door. There was a time where they were gathering leaders in church communities, and people were, were waiting on God. said, so if you're waiting to hear something from the Lord, go, go receive prayers, a mix of prophetic people and pastors. No one came and talked to me. I was just by myself. And I was thinking, and I had a big decision. I was wondering when I was gonna stop working for my family's company. And as I began to pray that, the Lord interrupted me and I could hear his voice like someone was talking to me. And he said this, super encouraging. The only reason you haven't stopped working for your family's business is because you don't think I'll provide. I, I didn't have a response. I was just, yep, yeah. Got to the bottom of that really quickly. And as I began to ask the question, when should I? He said, 90 days. It happened so quick and so loud that I marked it on the calendar. And, and even after that, it took me probably 30 days to work up the courage to talk to my family about it. And after that, God had kind of radically confirmed that I had made the right decision. I was like, yes, awesome. The Lord's gonna walk me through this thing and he's gonna bring me through and I'm scared and I'm with him, but he's told me. And do you know what happened after that? all hell broke loose. That's a Bible word, I can say it. <laughs> I'm talking like two weeks before my last day, Jacqueline's super secure job, she lost it. After I, uh, after I stopped working for my family's company, we get the notice in the mail that my insurance is canceled. That night, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Okay, we, we had a pipe burst under our house. That was terrible. We had uh, a pipe burst inside the walls. We had to live out of hotels and with friends for a month. Uh, my car was hit by a drunk driver who fled the scene. Jacqueline's car was stolen and a whole bunch of other stuff. But to wrap it up, we went from $65,000 in the bank account to 65 grand in debt. <laughs> it was gnarly. By the end of it, I wasn't sure if God loved me. I was questioning whether or not he was even real. I was so confused. I turned to things like alcohol and entertainment because honestly, I just wanted to escape my perceived reality. I didn't feel like I belonged and I obviously was not doing what God wanted me to do because he would never put me through this. I felt like everything would eventually go wrong. My anxious fatalism was beginning to show. And I wasn't even sure if God did in fact call me to this city and to this community. My heart was beginning to wander and roam. I felt alienated everywhere I went, like I was living the wrong life in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was as if everywhere I looked, I could, all I could see was distress, darkness, and fearful gloom. Guys, when we listen to the counsel of the spirit of the age, we drift from the truth as we drift from God, becoming convinced that we will fail and die. And in our confusion and distress, we attempt to remedy the situation by wandering the earth, looking for a fresh start, and in most cases, just to repeat the process of testing over again, simply in a new destination. In the words of Mark Sayers in his book, Reappearing Church, he says this about our culture. And it's a little heady, and I can't read the chapter to you, but hang in there with me. Our contemporary culture of progressive secularism is a failing temple, which, like the idolatrous temples of the ancient world, produce only anxious 
and dismayed, create exhaustion and dismay, creating anxious and confused followers as they desperately attempt to control the circumstances of the world around them. I fell prey to some of those things. I believed in a name it and claim it culture, apparently. I, I had somehow been rubbed off by, if you know, you throw these good vibes out in the spirit, out in the universe, that some kind of blessing is gonna come back at you. But guys, our God is the God of peace, not the God of comfort. He is the God of peace in our distress, not the God of comfort and luxury. Here is the deal about that story I shared with you, and we'll begin the good news. I was not a man abandoned by God. I was a son invited into the sufferings of Christ. I just didn't realize what it was because of the lies I had believed. I wasn't an orphan. I was a child who had not accurately counted the cost of what it would take to build the tower of faith. Jesus speaks about that to count the cost. He's not talking about planning. He's talking about salvation. In my, in my mind, everything was going wrong, but in reality, the Lord was drawing me closer to him like he had never had before. In hindsight, those three years have been the most important years I have yet to live. It's why God was so kind to speak to me at the beginning of it all. Friends, the God we believe in is the God of peace, not the God of comfort. So this is what it looks like when we partake in the fruit of worldly counsel, confusion, distress, and wandering. Shall we have a look at our final point? Let's see what the wonderful counselor has to say to us. And guys, I could not think of a better way to teach this point than to let the counsel of Jesus speak over us. And I've done enough talking up until this point in most of our time remaining, I just want the word of God to be a lamp to our feet, to shed some light to our path. The word of God is actually one of Christ's titles. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the word that became flesh 2,020 years ago. And he's made a way for us to escape the counsel of the world and the darkness it brings. And just close your eyes. If you're at home, and kids aren't playing with knives, close your eyes. If you guys hear, and I've, I've, just, I've just written these words in a way so that it can sound like God speaking to you, and just listen. There's quite a few verses in here, so hang on. This is what he would say to us. As for you, Karin, Jacqueline, Enid, as for you, you are, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you, were, <clears throat> when you followed the ways of, the, of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of you also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of your flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, you were by nature deserving of my wrath, but because of my great love for you, I, who am rich in mercy, made you alive with me. It is by my grace alone that you have been saved. And I have raised you up with me and seated you with me in the heavenly realms and upon my very throne. 
I did this so that in the coming ages I might show you the incomparable riches of my grace expressed to you in kindness in your relationship with me. For it is by my grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourself, it is my gift to you. Not by your work so that you can boast for you are my handiwork created in me to do good in this world which I have prepared in advance for you to walk in. And please, my son, my daughter, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. This is why the world hates you. Remember that I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And my daughter, please consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because I have taught you that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask me for it for I give it generously to all without finding faults and I will give it to you. But please remember When you ask, you must believe and not doubt because those who doubt are like the waves of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And lastly, take courage, my boy. Be confident of this, that I who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until either you stand before me or I come to get you. My friends, Isn't his counsel wonderful? Do you feel better? All I did was read scripture over you. Guys, Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. He has the word, (laughs) he was the word that became flesh and in Jesus' words, if you desperately want to do, in in Jesus' own words, if you desperately want to do the work of the father, he says this, believe in the one he sent. His counsel expels darkness and disarms deception. It clarifies reality and it brings life to our bones and peace in our suffering. Trust in him and he will make your path straight. Ben, you can join me up here. You know, I wonder when I read Isaiah 9, I don't have time to unpack it, but he talks about his government never ending. And we, we, we know through study and we know that we are in this in-between stage where God has inaugurated the beginning of his kingdom and he's gonna consummate it in his second return. When Jesus was born, this whole story began. And as it finishes, these things will be completely true, but we're in this now but not yet kind of limbo state. And I wonder why didn't God bring an army? Why didn't he provide angelic political leaders instead of the ones that we see on TV? Where's the supernatural weaponry? That's just my video game nerd. I'm like, what would that even look like? Why did he choose to fulfill his plan in this way? Why, didn't, why did he choose an inside out inauguration of his kingdom? And I believe if we can understand this, it will help us to understand how to move forward in our journey following Christ without falling prey to listening to false counsel. 
based off of the evidence of scripture, it appears that Jesus' highest priority is the individual internal regeneration of the human heart. I mean, there were about half of a billion people on the planet when he came and he chose 11 idiots and one saboteur and was like, nah, perfect. Why did he do this? Sure, he had compassion on the crowds, the crowds and the people uh, he encountered, but his plan to overthrow the deepest oppression humans experience would be fulfilled through his words and the deep discipleship of a few people. What does this tell us about our God, the one that you and I follow. It tells us that he cares more about who we are becoming more than in earthly, our earthly circumstances. He cares about changing us from within than providing what we think we need externally. It shows us that he is not the God who wants our lives to be shaped by Christian behavioralism, but rather that we would carry the very essence and aroma of Christ because we are saturated in his instruction and presence. He wants us to be like one of the 11. He wants us to follow him everywhere he goes. That He wants us to sit in his presence under his teaching daily to be together in this life until the moment he escorts us from this world. Just one last thing. His plan also shows us, this also shows us that his plan for himself included betrayal, hardship, and rejection. He handpicked his saboteur in his own journey so that it would reveal his holiness. Can we believe that Jesus has chosen agents of sabotage in our own lives to make us more like him? Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for shining light on the darkness of our hearts. Lord, thank you that you chose to do it the right way not a facade of peace while we struggle with death in our hearts. Lord, you you came to bring life in a place where no one could take it. And Father, would you help us to sit under your instruction, to believe in the spirit and to, to trust your words above any other counsel in this age. And Father, I pray that you would make us more like your son. Father, that we would see peace come to this earth through those that are saturated in your presence. Wonderful counselor, we say, teach us. We say, have your way. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, Please rate us and hit subscribe, and if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.